Hi, friends. Welcome to Womankind. I'm here with my guest for this week, Brianna Gibney, and we will get to her story in a minute. But before we do that, I have some updates um, from past episodes that I just want to inform you about. So um, an earlier episode, Maria talked about the U.S. women's national soccer team and how they were fighting for pay equality with the men's team. Um, And so they actually have received a new contract, and it's a collective bargaining agreement that will provide better working conditions and accommodations. It'll give them increased per diems. Um, And it's also a five-year contract, which is pretty nice because they won't have to worry about these things for big events like the World Cup and the future Olympics. And it is... It is a big victory for the team because they will not have to, um, I mean, it's not necessarily equal pay, but it's a step in the right direction in building the program. And um, so I just wanted to give that update from our subversive story from a few weeks ago. Uh, Another update that I wanted to give is about Malala Yousafzai. Um, I talked about her in our stories of subversion a few weeks ago as well. Um, And she has been made an honorary Canadian citizen and she's been designated the youngest ever UN ambassador of peace with a special focus on education, specifically female education. So um, just some strides made with our women from stories of subversion that I just wanted to update you guys on. Um, so like I said, I'm here with my guest, Brianna Gibney. Hello, womenkind. Um, and I just am going to introduce her a little bit and then I'll let her talk about her story. Um, so Brie is a pre-med student. And she is actually our youngest guest ever on Womankind. Hello. (laughs) She's 21 years old. Um, And she and I know each other because we were in a situation where women were educating women. We used to tutor ESL, English as a Second Language, Mm -hmm. um, for women from Burma. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had a great time doing that together. Yes, we did. And that's really how we we bonded. Yes, we did. (laughs) And those women that we taught were mm-hmm. are women that I really look up to and some of the strongest women I've ever met. Absolutely. They came to, at the time that we were tutoring them, they had come to um, the United States um, from Burma about seven years ago, I think. And they really, they took it upon themselves to learn English. Yes. They really wanted to learn English and really wanted to advocate for themselves. Right. And I'm really thankful that we were able to be with them on that journey yes yes me too (laughs) and I mean we learned a lot from them as well aside from like just I learned so much about like work ethic and just generally what it means to be strong they also taught us how to dance they did (laughs) they did they taught they did teach us how to dance Yeah, we we had a lot of fun with that. They were really they were great women. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bree, we'd like to hear a little bit about your story, whatever that means to you. So my story began when I was born in China. Uh, when I was just a little baby, I was adopted from China and brought to the U.S. And I grew up in a suburb of Buffalo for all of my life. Um, but I think it's interesting because my story actually started. Um, as a result of gender inequality in China. Because um, in China, up until 2016, they had a one-child policy, uh, which was basically the Chinese government only allowing Chinese families to have one child. And it resulted in a lot of mothers either abandoning their children if they had more than one, um, 
infanticide, which is really sad, um, or also just ab abortions. Um, and in Chinese culture, they prefer baby boys over girls um, because eventually, um, as the boys grow up, they take care of the parents in their old age. And there are a lot of different cultural reasons why baby boys are more valued than baby girls. Um, but I, my life is really a result of that um, cult cultural case in China. So I'm very grateful to have grown up in the United States, and I am finishing college soon. I'll graduate in the spring. And really, I have been given all of these opportunities as a result of um, just my story and my parents adopting me mm -hmm. from China. And I'm grateful to be here. I'm so glad you're here too. <laughs> now, did you were you adopted? You were adopted as an infant. I Correct. Presume. Yes, five months old. Mm -hmm. Do you have? Did you have any contact or any information about your family prior to that, or no? No. How does that work? No. I well, I was actually just left as a baby, um, abandoned somewhere, and I was found. So when I was at the orphanage, they didn't have info actual information about my mm -hmm. real birthday, um, my name, or mm -hmm. my last name. Um, so even if I wanted to go back to the agency that I was adopted from and find my parents, I wouldn't be able to mm -hmm. because of the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so, what is, I don't, you might not know this, what is like the penalty for like having, or there was a penalty for having like more than one child or keeping female right. children right yeah they would be fined heavily mm -hmm. taxed and fined by the government mm -hmm. um and really that policy came out of the government wanting to limit the population in china mm -hmm. because they have a really big overpopulation problem mm -hmm. but um an effect of that was you know a disproportionate amount of girls number of girls being lost mm -hmm. either abandoned or aborted mm -hmm. um so that came out of that policy that was really just meant to limit the population size. So, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just like so, I mean, in the United States, I feel like this is just unimaginable. And it's also unimag unimaginable that this law continued until 2016. Right. Yes, it really which is. is. last it's year. unfathomable. <laughs> yeah. I, when I really think about it, I, I am astounded i it, it's crazy that this is happening and even so china's one example of just this policy and um an effect of this is a lot of chinese baby girls being lost you know mm -hmm. and i think about the case of women equality in other countries and it's even worse i mean mm -hmm. Ch china's one country but there are plenty of countries where women have no rights or they don't even have the right to drive mm -hmm. um or or have rights to vote or mm -hmm. um do other things that i think m maybe women here we take for granted or we don't mm -hmm. think about so much definitely so to kind of steer into that a little bit um so you have grown up in the united states mm -hmm. we actually both grew up in grand island new york yes um and now you've had amazing opportunities and so i think that mm -hmm. you should include as part of your story some of those things oh, that you've been okay, doing in yeah. the past couple of years okay great so i oh wow so she's done a lot <laughs> well i i've been so fortunate i have been able to do a lot of work um that i care about um to 
for their um, a social justice agenda. So for example, you and I, we volunteered, I, for four years, I volunteered um, in Buffalo teaching ESL to mm -hmm. refugees that came primarily from Burma and we were able to share that experience, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but I've also been able to travel to Nicaragua, Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, Ghana, um, on all on mission trips to do social justice projects and to volunteer. And I've traveled also to Spain. I spent a summer in Spain um, living with a Spanish family, learning Spanish, nannying a child, and um, traveling a bit throughout Europe. But um, I mean, when I think about my story, I, I've studied a lot. I've taken a lot of classes and done a lot of traditional academic things, but um, the experiences that have shaped me the most, I think, have been my experiences traveling mm -hmm. and participating in work that I really care about. Um, and traveling a lot has really opened my eyes to the different cultures that are in the world and also the different, the, sadly, the injustices that exist mm -hmm. in different countries in the world. And um, I've definitely noticed for women there is a huge... Um, inequality problem in every country in the world, even including the United States. But I think traveling a lot has given me a perspective that allows me to really appreciate, um, you know, how things are in our, our culture and our society and what injustices exist and how I can um, play my role to mm -hmm. try to um, fight for justice and mm -hmm. equality for women mm -hmm. and all minority people. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brie is definitely one of, like, the hardest working people I know. Oh, she works so you. hard, and she um, gives up a lot of things in order to be oh. on the track that she's on. Um, like she said, her goal is to be a doctor. Yes. And, like, there are so many sacrifices that go along with that. And so I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you so much, Kelsey. <laughs> you know, I am so grateful to even have the chance to take on these opportunities and to even make these sacrifices to, you know study and, and participate in things that I really care about. So mm -hmm. it's true, you know, maybe some people see the things I've done is, and the work I've done is sacrifice. But for me, it's really a privilege mm -hmm. to be able to spend time studying and volunteering and working to do work, to participate in um, projects that I really care about. Mm -hmm. And so eventually my goal after I finish school and get my medical degree is to um, be able to travel the world and um, be involved with international projects um, and provide health care for people, mm -hmm. the most vulnerable people in world communities that maybe are overlooked by the mm -hmm. system. And um, I would love to see more women involved in, you know, pursuing lofty goals like this. <laughs> so, Brie, what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2017? So, in general, or, yes. or specifically right. what it means to you. Right, so I think about 2017 being a very unique time because there is such a connectedness between all of us with um, technology and social media, um, and women really have the platform to speak out um, for equality. For example, you have started this amazing podcast, and I'm Thank you. so inspired by, you know, you taking the initiative to start this. It's really awesome. It's amazing. And um, this is the part of the show where my guests compliment me. <laughs> so I just think it's, it's so wonderful that 
we can use social media and media to have a voice and to speak out um, speak out for justice and to bring awareness to areas where there is injustice and inequality and like just when people are able to share their stories and um, you know share to a, a global audience or a national audience um, on the internet um, is really wonderful. So I think that in 2017, now women really have the platform. We can start podcasts, start YouTube channels, um, start blogs, have Instagram accounts, etc., um, to talk about women's rights and to talk about um, to shed light on equality, gender inequality, and inequality in general in society. So I think it's great that we can use all of the technology in 2017 to have conversation mm -hmm. about change that we want to see in the world. And I also noticed a lot of young people my age, I, as Kelsey mentioned, I'm 21. Um, I see so many young people really using using the technology and social media to speak out about things that matter to them. And I think that we're more involved in um, politics even after this election. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of young people have been getting more involved in um, politics and mm -hmm. speaking out on things they care about. So I just think that I want to be positive. You know, mm -hmm. 2017 is a time of hopefully change where we can we can have conversation and, you know, fight, fight the good fight. And I was just, this is kind of off topic, but I was just reading about um, the wage gap that exists in the United States specifically. And um, it does exist in healthcare. I was doing some research on uh, the wage gap in different careers and specifically in healthcare, like among physicians, there is a wage gap, which mm -hmm. to me is crazy. I, I want to go into medicine and, um, it's a really long track. It's a lot of school. It's a residency. But like all people who become physicians have the same training and they have to do the same steps and take the same exams and, and do all the same things. And yet men are still paid more, more significantly more than women physicians in higher positions. And um, anyway, I was just reading on this website that if change for like the wage gap is supposed to continue at the slow rate, if it continues at the slow rate that it's at, like it's not for like 50 years that women will have like equal pay. Mm -hmm. And I think it's to tie back to the question earlier. I think that we can use like um, websites to publish this information mm -hmm. and to share like, Hey, this is what's going on. Here's mm -hmm. published data on um, inequality, specifically like wage gap. Here's how long it would take for us to reach equality. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's great that people are really um, shedding light on this and publishing data and talking about it. There's a lot of, if you just like start researching um, topics like this, you can find a lot of information on it because mm -hmm. people have researched it. And I, I think that's really great. So mm -hmm. I like that we're talking about it and mm -hmm. people, young people are involved and hopefully we can fight for change and mm -hmm. it will happen quickly more quickly maybe <laughs> than it has in the past because of mm -hmm. technology and connectedness yeah definitely i think we're at a very unique time and i've said this in the past that my my high school students that i teach are 
more engaged than I've ever seen That's before. Great. And I, they're definitely more engaged than I was when I was in high school in terms mm-hmm. of like getting that information. And um, I just wonder, I don't, I mean, I wonder what it's like to be that age now and mm-hmm. have all that information. Yes. And I just, it's very interesting. Some of the conversations mm-hmm. that we have and it's, yeah, it's kind of refreshing to have students at such a young age being interested and engaged in these issues. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and it's, you know, great that, like, girls, they can, um, well, they're students, they can, like, research maybe what profession they're interested in Mm -hmm. and that the wage gap exists in that profession, Mm -hmm. and they can be alarmed by that and then work to fight against that when they seek employment, and et cetera. Like, I I think it's great that that people are, young students are seeking out information, getting exposed to things early and... um, hopefully can use their platform to speak out on it. Definitely. So that was kind of like a general answer of what being a woman means. But what does being a woman mean to you specifically, Mm -hmm. Brie? That's interesting. Yes. (laughs) So I will say from my my life that I've lived so far, um, I have not experienced yet a lot of negativity or criticism um, as a woman yeah I have so far in life um, I've done a lot of you know as I mentioned volunteer and service work but primarily my role has been a student so I you know have done high school college and I'm doing an internship program right now at a hospital Um, but so far in my personal life you know I have been able to um, earn respect as a woman and you know get a lot of positive feedback about you know oh that's great you're a woman in the stem field and you want to go into medicine at my college we had a woman in science club that I was a part of and my one friend is really heavily involved in it she's the president of it so um I've been very encouraged as a woman so far in my life to pursue the dream that I want to pursue and to um (laughs) and to just you know see the world as my oyster and to just be empowered to pursue whatever I want to pursue. If I want to go to school and get an advanced degree, I can do that. If I want to start a business or, you know, have a startup, I can do that. I am, I just look around and am so inspired by the women around me, people in my personal sphere, and then outside and the media that I'm inspired by. So like, for me, I am, I love being a woman. Being a woman is amazing. I I feel so encouraged that, you know, I can seek success in this life. And um, I, so I personally haven't yet experienced a lot of negative things as a woman, but I know that they exist in the workforce Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. So I have some of my best friends are engineers. Um, I'm living in Rochester right now and my best friends in Rochester are engineers. And they, we talk a lot about um, our experiences throughout the day and they talk about how they're treated as women female engineers at, um, at work and how you know people make comments like oh cover your ears you can't hear this if they're going to make you know a crude comment or um they they make comments to them about being women like oh I wasn't expecting to see someone like you here in this position and it's really terrible and jarring to hear about that so I I'm not I guess I'm naive personally because I haven't yet entered the workforce, but I'm not naive that there's 
a lot of stuff that women have to deal with just in general mm-hmm. in the workforce and in life. Mm-hmm. So, so hopefully for me, I can still keep my optimism and, um, you know, as a woman, not, not see that as something that w- will hold me back or that maybe society labels me as something that mm-hmm. maybe will hold me back from pursu- or seeking after a high position or, mm-hmm. um, seeking after, you know, pursuing my dreams. But I guess we'll see. But I am so excited to, I love being a woman. I love all that women are capable of mm-hmm. and that women like can do it all. They do do it all. Mm-hmm. And I want to be that woman. I think about often, you know, um, one of my favorite quotes is by a fashion designer who, uh, Diane von Furstenberg, she designs like really amazing mm-hmm. wh- clothes for women, like clothes designed for the working woman, uh, the woman on the go. And sh- she's super inspirational. Actually, her mom was a victim of the Holocaust. And she, like Diane von Furstenberg, never, wasn't, wasn't supposed to be alive. Like she, her mom was so frail and she was uh, experienced the Holocaust, which is terrible. And she, the doctor said, oh, you, your baby won't survive. And then Diane von Furstenberg, you know, she was born and now she's this famous designer. I did not know that about her. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. So What a story. Yeah, it's incredible. And I listened to her speak a lot because she's, it's very inspirational to me. And she spoke at the Cleveland Clinic. She designed these gowns for women um, in the hospital to, like, feel beautiful in the hospital and, like, feel like they're wearing, you know. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's a good idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. So, I, so I, I'm a big fan of her, and I follow her work. Um, but she, she's a designer. But she's also an amazingly strong woman who is just the whole package. Like, she, one of my favorite quotes um, by her is, to be the woman you want to be. And she set, set out when she was young. She knew, like, wow, her life was was crazy. Like, she was born out of this crazy circumstance. Her mom was so frail and sick, and um, she wasn't supposed to even be alive, and she was born. And, you know, when she was young, she said, I have, you know, two goals. I want to be successful. Um, I want to be an independent woman, and I want to be a woman who runs her own life. And I, she really has lived it out. She started this company, this big fashion, um, you know, empire. DVF is huge in fashion. And she's a strong woman who is a woman of character and designs clothes for women um, and understands women. And one of the quotes is, to be the woman you want to be. And so for me, I think about how, you know, I'm young. I'm in this world, this crazy, sometimes terribly scary and awful world in 2017. But I want to be the woman I want to be. I want to um, not only pursue my own goals, but be aware of the cultural situation around me, the society around me, and then really fight for the people who need to be advocated for Mm -hmm. so that's that's my goal (laughs) (laughs) just to comment on something that you said earlier um because so when I've asked or when it's come up with other women that I've had on the show we've talked about like the day-to-day experiencing of like sexist behavior Mm -hmm. and most people say no and I also say no too that I don't really have like that experience, um, like I don't have like all these incidents in my mm-hmm. mind of moments where I've experienced that. 
um, which kind of leads me to believe in a way that a lot of the issues that we're facing are systemic issues. Mm. There are these Mm -hmm. bigger things that maybe you don't see in the day-to-day operation of things, but Mm -hmm. they're there, they're overarching, and they're oppressive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that I've just been thinking about as as I have more guests on the show. Right, I think it's important to be aware of that Mm -hmm. to not only just be aware of your little um not your little but like uh, one's day Mm -hmm. one's day-to-day life but to be aware of the powers that be and Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. know really control I guess the experiences that we do have without Mm -hmm. even realizing it Mm -hmm. and yeah I think that there is a lot of sexism Mm -hmm. in you know high up Mm -hmm. in in different systems definitely so it's it's something that it's important to be aware of and I guess I'm I'm trying to keep my eyes out for those things mm-hmm. and n- you know not be scared to fight against it when I see it mm-hmm. and when I experience it but I would say sometimes day to day I do experience mm-hmm. some sexism like I don't I do experience you know cat calls or mm-hmm. um just rude little things from strangers and in those situations you know I won't stand for it so I will look over excuse me you know (laughs) don't do that (laughs) but you know I I'm still learning but yeah I think we all are still learning (laughs) um so I, I think you touched on this a little bit but what are your favorite parts of being a woman well being a woman is an art Actually, I would like to mention this because one of my favorite magazines is Darling Magazine. Do you know it? No, I don't know that. You would love it. Uh. You would love it. They, oh my gosh. I, they publish um, quarterly, so mm. like every season. And they write about just women, stories of women. Um, and so I want to read something from darling so being a woman is an art being a woman means to practice the art of virtue wit modesty and wisdom all the while creating beauty and embodying love women are here for a purpose and i believe that life as a woman is a gift we have a purpose beyond just like you know the evolutionary like creating babies and carrying on the species that is an amazing purpose it's so beautiful and amazing but like I believe that being a woman is an art and women are capable of accomplishing so much at one time and without even like breaking a sweat. I mean, and then like when women work hard and do all the other stuff on top, like they accomplish so much. So I think that as women, we just have, you know, super, this woman superpower of being able to do so much in our life. And so I love that. I love that I feel empowered to do a lot at once and to pursue a lot at once and um I hope to have a career and have a family and to be involved in you know activism in my community and I just I want to do all of those things and based on the women the amazing women that I observe I see that it's possible to do mm-hmm. all of those things mm-hmm. and women do work hard for sure mm-hmm. but I think that women are capable of mm-hmm. doing so much and um, it's really in us. So mm-hmm. I think that it's an art and a privilege and I, it's a gift mm-hmm. and I'm just very excited to be a woman. <laughs> I, I love it. So I commented on this before when we were talking that um, 
having it all and having to do it all has been one of the things that people have said was their least favorite part of being a woman. Mm-hmm. But I like the the spin that you put on it to make that your favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I, oh my gosh, I know so many women who are like super women. They do so much. And like for them, you like, women are like so, these women are so humble. Like they just mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, it's just me. It's just what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. So I am very inspired by it. Mm-hmm. Well, so if that's your favorite part of being a woman, then what is your least favorite part of being a woman? Uh, well, uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I think that as a woman, appearance matters more. Outward appearance matters more for a woman than it does for a man. And that, I think, is annoying and mm-hmm. stupid. Because, like, really, why should it matter so much? We're all, like, just humans. We're here. Mm-hmm. And why does, you know... I don't know. It, it matters. I think it matters a lot mm-hmm. that men like they can. They, OK, taking care of yourself is important. Mm-hmm. Whoever you are, you know, if you're going to mm-hmm. work and you have to be presentable um, and you're going to present yourself to the world, shower, do all those things. But like <laughs> women have to do all these extra things mm-hmm. just because it's like expected. It's the norm mm-hmm. that like women put on makeup and, mm-hmm. you know, do their hair and things like that. And I at least in my circle, I feel it's the norm and, and expectation. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it really annoying. And you know why? Like, what if, you know, you, you just don't want to, I suppose you just don't have to, but like I've experienced that times when I don't feel like, mm-hmm. you know, getting my, getting mm-hmm. all ready. Like, yeah, people make comments. Oh, you look tired today. Or, you know, something like <laughs> people that. People always say that. <laughs> now I'm a person who I like very rarely wear makeup and, um, so I think that if I were someone that wore it regularly, regularly and then stopped that then people would say that I'm tired all the time, but I must just look tired all the time because <laughs> I don't know. I no, feel like I get that. that. But imagine, do you yeah. think that for a man, they would say it or, well, maybe they don't wear makeup all that, all that much, but like if a man looks, looks a certain way or has blemishes mm. on his face, like no one cares. Yeah. It's not such a big deal when like, I don't know. They mm-hmm. they just that seems nice mm-hmm. to just like throw on a t shirt and then yeah. call it a day. <laughs> well, so I think that I'm borrowing this from Jen from episode one. I think that she's the one who told who coined this phrase that like doing all of this stuff she calls it like maintenance. And it's that's what it is. Like you have yes. to pay all this extra money and like you know, to get your nails done and to get your hair done and to do all of these things. And I know that some men would say, Well, well, isn't that a choice? But is it a choice? That's interesting. Yes. I think that's a very interesting question. Well, I think that you can definitely elect to not. Like, Mm. it. yeah, you don't have to. But Mm. I found, okay, for example, this is a little off topic, but I worked as a waitress. Mm -hmm. Just, I didn't even mention this to you. So I, in addition to studying (laughs) and volunteering, et cetera, I do some side hustle as a waitress. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, and I personally have, I don't mind it. I kind of have that personality where mm-hmm. I love ch- chatting with people and, you know, providing service that, you know, providing food for them, giving them a good meal. But I found that, like, if I wear my makeup or and get dressed up to, like, do just job, waitressing, mm-hmm. serving people food, um, like, I would get m- more tips if I was, like, all dress, dressed and, like, had my makeup all done up. And mm-hmm. I noticed that. And I found it just so strange because I, for me, I, I don't think about it that much. I'm not one of those girls who cares so much about my outer appearance, outward appearance. I don't, I really 
wish if I didn't, I could just have days when if I didn't want to wear any makeup for like months, I wouldn't have to. And then if I wanted to, I could. But I mean, I suppose you could, but maybe there'll be other effects from that. Like mm-hmm. if you're a waitress, for example, and your <laughs> face is showing all the time, people yeah. like women with makeup, so you'll get more tips. <laughs> I don't know. It's a stupid example. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. It's it's kind of like a double standard because then the man who's waiting the next table over, like, is he wearing makeup or right. did, how long did it take him to get ready? Yeah. <laughs> stupid yeah yeah what do you think the world needs to know about women is that the question that you don't like oh yeah <laughs> well yeah what okay so i think that the world i liked what you said about this before we you did talking. yeah okay <laughs> that women like i don't want it to be hopefully for the future like men and women as such like a female in this position or a female doing this or a man doing this. Like, I just hope for that the world eventually reaches a point of like humankind, as you mentioned in a couple podcasts mm-hmm. ago, like we're like men and women. Yes. Obviously there's men and women, but there's not all these, this inequality that mm-hmm. is associated with those things. Mm-hmm. Like that there's equality for men and women, mm-hmm. period. I, I hope that mm-hmm. that occurs in mm-hmm. the future. And that women are just as capable as men, and um, we, ha- you know, biologically have differences for sure. But like, I just don't like that there are these other mm-hmm. consequences, I guess, or mm-hmm. being associated with being a woman. Mm-hmm. I just hope for equality. Right, and that's I think what you're referring back to is what we said. I don't know. I don't even know what episode that was, but like, instead of being like a female writer you can Mm -hmm. just be a writer instead of being a female truck driver you can just be a truck yes a female engineer right you can just be an engineer Mm -hmm. you know it's that's what that's what Mm -hmm. i really hope Mm -hmm. the world just knows that women can hold all those positions or do Mm -hmm. those things that maybe you wouldn't expect Mm -hmm. you know actually I, i read an article i think it was by gloria steinem not too long ago in the new york times about Um, kind of redefining the term like chick flick for movies Um, and the article gets a gets like pretty um, in depth with this and pretty it's kind of cutting I would say but um, the idea behind it kind of struck me because she said basically we call any movie that has like emotions or things that are deemed female those are considered chick flicks and those are stories just for women but aren't emotions and experiences like that human experiences Mm -hmm, don't mm -hmm. men go through them too so what makes them like female-centric stories Mm -hmm. when men have those same experiences and so i found that really interesting and i'm really trying to not use the term chick flick anymore um and of course there are some movies that are better than others but i think that um People, male and female, people would benefit from seeing all kinds of movies and witnessing all different kinds of human experiences and not, Mm -hmm. like, marginalizing one over the other. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. So what issue that affects women are you most passionate about or just passionate about in general? Right. So (laughs) I'm very passionate about working with... um, underserved and impoverished communities Mm -hmm. because I find that communities that are vulnerable and underserved they need advocates Mm -hmm. because the I don't want to 
sound like, oh, us to the rescue, they need us. Mm -hmm. But like, I really care about working with underserved communities because um, they are overlooked. For example, I'm thinking specifically of healthcare as an issue mm -hmm. because healthcare is what I care about. I want to enter the medical field and become a physician. So I really care about healthcare, healthcare for all, universal healthcare, um, universally. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was, while well, I was doing some research, um, so there are 1.65 billion women and girls who live on $2 per day or less. And this is a disproportionate number of the two-thirds of the 2.5 billion people in the world who are classified as poor. So I have always cared about working with underserved and impoverished communities locally and worldwide. And I really care about health care specifically because um, people who are so poor like that don't are most susceptible to falling ill to preventable diseases and stuff. They don't have the same access to um, regular medical care and medications, et cetera. And so I really care about those things and being bringing health care to um, people in underserved communities. But I really find it so jarring that there are, or so shocking that there are so many women and children who are impoverished and live in these communities on less than two dollars a day mm -hmm. and like this is just reality there's billions of women mm -hmm. and girls who like and children who need attention um f general relief from poverty but then also like probably health care too so right. yeah i'm rambling but health care is what i really care about and working with with mm -hmm. impoverished communities Nice. Well, you're, I mean, you're definitely, I, you've done a lot of that already. So mm -hmm. you're definitely like in that arena with what you're doing. Um, so this might be just kind of a follow up to what you were just talking about. Well, what, what are some changes that you'd like to see for women moving forward? Oh, okay. Actually, I took some notes on this. <laughs> Of, of something I wanted to mention, but on I had two answers, like on a macro and micro level. Oh, so okay. let's hear both. Uh, on a macro level, I hope to see more equality in society um, through closure of the wage gap mm -hmm. and equal rights mm -hmm. and women in other countries being able to vote and participate in politics. And um, so I, I really hope for that to happen. And maybe that I don't see a projection of timeline of when that will happen in every country in the world. But I, I definitely hope for that on a macro level, but on a micro level that women, all women would have a voice, not settle for being treated as lesser because they are women to being discriminated against because they are women um, to, you know, if they're experiencing sexism to stand up for, their stand up and have a voice for being a woman, you know, and letting their strength shine and their light shine and um, to do it in love. So that's my hope for, for both. I like that. Um, are there any women or who are the women that you most admire? Wow. I thought a lot about that question. And there are, are a lot of women that I admire historically and um, that, you know, I've, I read about and I admire, but I think that 
I most admire the women that I know and love and that are in my circle of friends because I know the mo- like such incredible women, women who like my best friends in Rochester, they are a bunch of them are from other countries and they travel to the US, they study engineering, they got their engineering degree, some have like dual degrees. Um they're project managers at their companies. Um and they're also just just incredible people. And so I really admire the women that I know. I really admire you, Kelsey, truly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, the students that we taught, like, oh, my gosh. And the women that I've met on my trips, oh, my gosh. They are, th- like, the strongest people that I've ever met because they deal with so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are so strong and they hold on to hope. And I have been so touched by them and being able to meet them and experience sharing um, time with them. So, you know, I think it's one thing if you read about a woman and and read her story or hear about it. But then when you know women and know their journey and their story, and I think it's great that you're allowing women to share their stories here on this podcast, um, it's so powerful. So I would say the women in my life are the women who really... I admire and inspire me, you included. I just looked at your your notes. I like glanced at them and your your answer is so funny. You're like, so many women, all <laughs> women. <laughs> so I could tell that you couldn't decide. Yes, yes, um, I thought about it. But I it. totally agree. And that's on this podcast, I mean, I mean, I've kind of like laughed with people that I'm just kind of like going around my circle of friends and interviewing everyone. But that's that is what I'm doing because the women in my life are so amazing and have they're everyone's story is so different even though Mm -hmm. you know a lot of us grew up in the same place or are the same age or have Mm -hmm. had similar experiences um like the my motto for this podcast is that every woman has a story to tell and everyone does yes yes and I think it's uh so important to remember that with all interactions in life men and women and like everyone we meet everyone has a story and I, I think that that would solve a lot of the problems mm-hmm. that exist in the world if we just recognize that everyone has their own story, mm-hmm. they, the disagreements we may have and, or the differences that we have in opinion maybe are because if we walked in their shoes, we would understand their perspective and, and understand why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, to share this um, after I traveled to Spain, I lived in Spain for um, about three months, and I stayed with a Spanish family. I worked as a nanny, an au pair, um, and I met so many Spanish people. And a lot of them, like, they were raised so differently than I was because Spain is such a different culture than um, the U.S., and they just do things differently than we do. And I found that, like, wow, you know, some of we would have I would have deep conversations with some some Spaniards that I met and um you know I was really curious like why they felt the way religion about religion specifically Mm -hmm. because you know Europe and the U.S. have really different perspectives on religion Mm -hmm. but anyway I thought it was very interesting because if I had that shared that experience like historically as a country um with religion or you know maybe in their family if i had had that experience i would feel the same way about religion mm-hmm. and you know and there's so many fights about religion or so many fights about in our in our world there's so many um fights and wars about like different ideologies mm-hmm. or in different perspectives and people can like go crazy um you know fighting for what they believe but maybe disagreeing mm-hmm. um with 
someone who has an opposite perspective or opinion or belief. And I think that what I learned when I was traveling in Spain that was that everyone does have a story and that maybe if we disagree with them or it's hard for us to see where they're coming from, we should try to put ourselves in their shoes and think about their story, where they came from and their background. And it would really solve a lot of problems. And I think it does relate back to um, some gender issues. Maybe if, maybe people don't think about historically how women have um, been treated in their country and, or maybe had the experience as a woman if they don't understand what it was like to have that experience or to walk in their shoes. But if, if they did, there, it would solve a lot of problems mm-hmm. and bring a lot of peace, I think, mm-hmm. to humanity mm-hmm. between men and women. <laughs> I mean, I completely agree with that. And I, this is like something that I'm a huge proponent of is having empathy for other people. Yes, and I talk so with my fun. students a lot about empathy and how it's really like a muscle it's something that you have to exercise it's Mm -hmm. not something that comes naturally to us as humans it's something that you have to work on um and also considering uh you do have to consider that empathy doesn't necessarily excuse behavior but it does help you to understand behavior Mm -hmm. and help you come to a compromise with someone and so that's i mean i remember actually when you did come back um from spain after meeting those the, those women I think that were raised so differently from where mm-hmm. we were and had such a different relationship with religion and it I think both of us were kind of like huh I never really thought about it that mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. Um, and it does just widening your worldview and hearing other people's yes. stories just helps you to become a more well-rounded and understanding yes. person yes empathy is key <laughs> absolutely you're so articulate Kelsey she said everything that I meant to say just then. no you said it too <laughs> Um, so I'm actually going to move us into our stories of subversion. And I picked a very deliberate one today um, because Brie and I were both cross country and track. Did mm-hmm. you run track? Yes. We were both oh. cross country and track runners in high school. And that was one of the things early on that we bonded over um, was running. And so this is pretty relevant um, this week. But this is something that I, I read about a long time ago. But there's so much more to the story that I wasn't aware of that I'm now aware of as of today. So my story of subversion is about Catherine Schweitzer. I hope I'm saying her name right. I'm not sure if I am. Uh, But she was the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon in 1967. So that was like what I knew about her. I was like, yep, she first woman to run the Boston Marathon. Um, But there's so much more to it. So she signed up for the marathon under the name K.V. Schweitzer. Um, So it was kind of like a gender neutral name. And so everyone just kind of assumed she was a man. Um, And so then she starts running the race and they, you know, people realize that there was a woman running the race. And there is this this picture that I saw today um, of a man who basically was like the Mm. person running the race or not running the like the leader of the race um tried to remove her and he runs into the crowd and tries to rip her number off and this image is just so violent to me um because this is 1967 and he's running out into the crowd to rip her number off of her um so i'll actually i'll post that picture on instagram so you guys can see it um so I've, I've read a couple articles and, um, and actually an essay, an essay by this woman herself. And so the reason that women were not allowed to run is because they were considered too fragile and that they 
wouldn't it was considered that they they probably wouldn't want to run that far so actually in the olympics um women runners at that time running women can definitely (laughs) run definitely 26 miles (laughs) um and at that time in the olympics women were not allowed to run more than an 800 that was the limit which is really not that far no um and so i just this is just all making me laugh so I'm going to read, this is a quote from um, Catherine that she told, she told NPR. It says, it was feared that anything longer was going to injure women, that they wouldn't be able to have children or they would somehow turn into men. Um, and this is another quote from her. You'll never have children, they said. You're going to get big legs. You're going to grow hair oh on your God. chest. So these were, were myths that were being perpetuated that if women were to run, then they wouldn't be able to produce children, that they wouldn't be able to or they wouldn't be women anymore they would turn into men essentially if they ran marathons um so i she's definitely a subversive woman she was going against you know the Mm -hmm. all-male marathon um and so she basically after that experience dedicated her life to making women's lives better and making uh, women more equal specifically in in these instances um so women were officially allowed to enter the boston marathon in 1972 um, and then marathons became an official Olympic, Olympic women's event in 1984. And Schweitzer herself created a series of women's races in 27 countries. So she's basically gone around uh, doing that and fighting for women's equality. And actually, the reason that this has all come up, because now she is 70 years old and she ran the Boston Marathon on Monday of this oh, week, yes. kind of as like a celebration. 70? 70. 70. 70? What did I say? Seven. Se- she was 70? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she, at 70 years old, she ran the marathon again. And I just, the story just like blows me away because I, you know, hemmed and hawed at track practice and like took it for granted that women are able to play sports and women are able to do so many things. Like this, that story with the women's soccer team that I updated you guys on, like, we've come so far we have so far to go but we've come so far with these things Mm -hmm. so i it was a really refreshing story for me to hear um but yeah i'll definitely post that picture it's such a a visceral image Mm -hmm. to see um so at this point brie do you have anything else that you would like to share before we sign off here no thank you so much kelsey (laughs) for inviting me to be on your amazing podcast (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I know, Brie, you just, you inspire me a lot. I know we both say, Brie always says she looks up to me, but I also, even though she's younger than me, look up to her. She's someone who does go after her goals and works so hard. And every time I see you, I feel inspired after I hang out with you because you just have all these aspirations and I see the evidence of you chasing them. So it's really nice. Thank you, Kelsey. (laughs) All right. Bye, friends. Okay, bye.